0: Hi, it's Jeanette here. If you're enjoying Brave Bold Brilliant, I'd love it if you'd subscribe, share with your friends, and leave a five-star review. Let's do it. Here's the show. Welcome to the Brave Bold Brilliant podcast. I'm here today with a very inspiring man. His name is Dan Ram. Now, Dan is an event MC, he's a five times TEDx speaker, is an executive coach. My God, Dan, is there anything you don't do?
1: So much. We can get into that too.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I've been very much looking forward to this. And um, we were actually weren't too bad with our diaries getting this organised. So we've done quite well. So it's great to see you, Dan. And you're over in Western Germany right now, aren't you?
1: Right now, I'm in a beautiful, quaint little city called Aachen. The greatest accolade, the greatest accomplishment of this cute little city is 15 German kings were coronated in our cathedral over here. So if ever you come here, you will see a gorgeous old structure that stood for something once that was important. But <laughs> now it's more of a student town.
0: Brilliant. And we're gonna get into that because you are actually doing your PhD, aren't you, as well at the moment? So I um.
1: Sure am. We will that's talk. my brave thing.
0: Yeah, brave thing. Excellent. Mm-hmm. I can see you're already getting into the theme of the podcast, Dan. This is fantastic. <laughs> listen, we are going to have so much to talk about, Dan, but listen, kick us off with a little bit about your journey, because you've had a very interesting background. I know you've uh, been grew up in 11 countries and you've got a very eclectic mix of where you come from and kind of what you're doing now. So give us the heads up, Dan, and then we're going to have a nice old chat from there.
1: So the first thing is, uh, of all the countries I grew up in, it's a pity I don't have a Manchester accent. It's a delight to listen to you, Jeanette. It is. (laughs) I I, I just like the way you talk. Um, But... I grew up all over the world because my dad is an Indian diplomat. And so for those who can only hear me and cannot see me, I am a proud Indian. I'm a brown man. I know I come across as American on the uh, audio waves, but I'm actually Indian. And I grew up in Africa, in the Middle East, in Europe. And then I went to college in the U.S. And of course, I've got Asian heritage and I've spent time there. So I grew up in a lot of different places. I This is important, the whole... Not just traveling, because I think that's something that everybody wants, but I'm talking about being open-minded to constantly be learning, to receive and to give, to immerse yourself in what is unknown and uncertain. And we all had to do that the last couple of years with the pandemic, but I've been doing it ever since childhood. Free social media, free even emails. You would just show up in a country like Zimbabwe and figure it out in real time, how you would navigate and also who you would be. So adapting and reinventing is something that to me is an important part of being brave and bold and brilliant. And so uh, that's a core aspect of my life. I will also say that I, for whatever reason, Jeanette, have had a crazy life, and I mean crazy. I have survived a lion attack. I have had multiple near-death experiences, I have performed for kings and presidents, and I've also been an advisor to presidents. I have done everything from traditional work, working for the UN, working for KPMG, working for World Vision, working for Team Hope, but I've also built companies and been entrepreneurial. And now I have the great joy of just serving people as a moderator and MC in the event world. So I've had a very eclectic life, not just lots of different countries, but lots of different experiences. But all of them, just like for everybody listening and watching right now, is what shapes us. So today in this interview, I cannot wait to share some of the learnings and growings. Um, And I'm also excited to, in this little way, in the time that we have together, be part of your um, growing and learning. And hopefully something that we talk about here in the podcast will spark a little bit in your own life. So for those listening and watching, thanks for tuning in.
0: Oh, fantastic. What a great start, Dan. So my gosh, you don't look old enough, may I say. So um <laughs> maybe those early years moving around with your, you know, your dad as a diplomat, maybe that, that meant you had to grow up pretty fast. Would you say that was the case?
1: In some ways, yes, but in other ways, actually, no. So there are some obvious parts about moving all the time, right? You have to reintroduce yourself to everybody, your teachers, your friends, your community, your neighbors. And with that reintroducing, I took it to another level of also reinventing because the person I used to be in the last country does not have to be the person that comes to the next country. And I think that sort of regeneration in many ways keeps you young because what great joy in redefining who you are. And when you redefine, you have to start from zero. So I know in some countries I was very nerdy and, and that was great. And then I learned how to be book smart. But I wasn't socially acceptable. So then the next country, I would reinvent. And like a child, start again with, how do I be friendly to people? How do I make friends? I had the book smart part. I didn't have to change that. But now how do I start again from zero with something else? I think that attitude keeps you youthful. Because one thing that kids are great at is just trying stuff. I think as an adult, we get so like, well, this is who I am. This is what I do. This is how I do it. This is my mindset. This is my attitude. And we lock in. But kids are great. You know, the younger they are, the even more open minded they are. You can bring them to a random playground in a random city, and then they will go and just jump and engage on whatever activity or game there is. Whereas an adult will be like, well, you know, I remember the last time I was in New York and the park was way nicer. And what is up with these people? There's not as we do this as adults, kids don't. So I think that mindset keeps me young in some ways, in that there's really nothing you can tell me, Jeanette. That would scare me and intimidate me i'm all curiosity i'm all like okay tell me more you know you you mentioned a little bit about real estate and I, oh, i'm like oh i have so many questions about this right <laughs> um so i think that's part of it and growing up this way taught me to stay ever curious always asking questions never assuming answers um and just being open-minded i would say in other ways it's a crash course in growing up because It is not enough, at least for my family, to just be a tourist in a country for three years. It's also not fair to yourself because you deserve friendships, you deserve community, you deserve uh, to, to live. And for that to happen, you have to learn to do it quickly. So whether it's a church or a youth group or a theater club or a band or school or work, we learn to engage fast. We come in hard and quick because we also know we're leaving quickly. And those cycles repeated teaches you uh, so much in a short amount of time, because if we just stayed in a little bubble of English speaking diplomats, we would not have grown so quickly. But when you jump in and you go, all right, what do Moroccans do in their in their weekends? All right. How do we do that? How do we engage with that? And oh, now we're living in France and how do the French holiday? Okay, let's try to holiday the same way you learn a lot quickly. And so you experience a lot and you mature quickly. So I'd say it's a mixed bag, Jeanette. It's it's the bit of all.
0: Well, I love that. God, there's so much in this actually. So a couple of points I just want to pick up on, Dan, as you were speaking. One of the things you were saying about was almost we tell ourselves certain stories, don't we? You know, we say, oh, oh we put ourselves in a little box or we have a mindset around, oh, well, I'm not entrepreneurial or I'm not this, I'm not this. And what I love about what you're talking about there is, is actually you can tell yourself a different story and become and live that. Um, and I think so often people do hold themselves back or they they restrict their capacity for growth because they tell themselves they're not good enough, they're too this, they're not enough of whatever. And actually what you've just demonstrated there is this ability to create a version of yourself and whatever it is you want to be, you can, you can be it, right?
1: 100%. And I really believe that words become attitudes and attitudes turn into actions and action becomes who you really are but it starts with words and i think we live in a world that is over fixated on what they are saying what they are communicating and we neglect the fact that our own voice is often our greatest obstacle Mm -hmm. it is easy to point it and say well i'm a woman in business and you know all of them whoever them is say that we're a minority and there's marginalized. And, and that, you know, I'm not saying those are not true voices. What about your voice? Because as soon as you accept that as your reality, it's actually you saying that you cannot achieve more and do more, but you're hiding behind they saying, but the fact that you agree with it means now it's your voice holding you back. And I'm, you're hundred percent right. If you start by changing the narrative in your head, Your entire life changes at that point. It's not about resources or people or opportunities or places. It's actually with the narrative in your head. Every morning you wake up, Jeanette, saying, today's going to be a great day, becomes a great day. And every day you wake up thinking, oh, boy, it's great and it's cold and this global warming thing, you know, this winter looks miserable and I can't get my family together because of pandemic and the world and energy crisis and oh, this is going to be a rough month. And guess what? It will be. It actually could be a great month, but you will see it as a rough month and you'll believe it was a rough month because you said it was a rough month. So words are so important.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's interesting because I was actually um, at a conference last week and I did a keynote speech on imposter syndrome and, you know, how how to overcome it and all of these kind of things. And pretty much every single person, I had the whole audience standing up and raising their hands, you know, if you've ever felt these feelings. And pretty much every single person in that room, men and women, may I say, were were, were all, and of all colours and creeds and cultural backgrounds and sexual diversity, you name it, it was a really mixed audience. But pretty much every single person, and said at some point of their life, they have felt feelings of not being good enough, you know, the old imposter syndrome. Ooh. So it's it's really powerful. I think when you embrace that and realize you can do something about it, you don't have to be the victim here, actually take the action, then that really gets rid of those excuses and barriers, doesn't it? You know, but I just want to ask you about imposter syndrome because you- Wait, wait, pause, pause, pause. Oh,
1: <laughs> give, go. Give us a sneak peek. On what you said yesterday in your keynote about overcoming imposter syndrome, I know you do asking the questions and I answer, but I really want to know because I think every, like not just your audience but even your audience now probably have felt imposter syndrome. So give us give us one hot tidbit on tackling that.
0: I will. but I'll give it very quickly. So I think the word imposter is a very negative word. Uh-huh. So my my thing is all about how do you take that word and turn it into a positive uh, framework instead. So the way i do it i go through each letter and say right the first thing is ah you've got to identify what's going on and reframe it the yeah. m mindset right self belief's got to be an inside job start with you the p people who you're spending yourself who you're spending time with people that lift you up or drag you down be very careful about who you spend time with the o I say is all about. It's okay to fail, so don't be afraid to try. because It's okay to fail, right? S story that we talked about before. What are the stories you're telling yourself? Ch- change the dialogue. Choose a different story. Um, so that's the S T E uh, energy. Are you taking care of yourself? Are you eating well? Sleeping well? Have you? Are you? Are you moving? You getting exercise? Positive endorphins. And then the R is reason. What's your reason? Why? Is it compelling enough? What's going to get you out of bed in the morning? So that is my way of saying, right, let's take this negative, flip it into a positive and just really check in on those things as often as you can and just make sure that you're doing everything you can to kick that imposter syndrome into touch and actually reframe your life and take control.
1: Love that. Standing ovation for me. I mean, I was standing already, but now I'm copying too. So <laughs> uh, that's awesome. That is so good. I would have loved to be in that room.
0: Oh, it was great. It's a great experience, actually. Really high energy, good energy in the room. But um, yeah, so coming back to the old imposter syndrome, Dan, so given that a lot of yeah. people, not necessarily everyone, but most people experience some of those feelings of, you know, doubt, insecurity, etc. has it ever manifested for you in all of the different situations you've been in or have you just got very adept at dealing with change and being able to kind of be confident in the way you put yourself over?
1: I'm going to agree I'm going to start by agreeing with what you said at the beginning when I asked you the question about imposter syndrome in that um, some things that people call as negative, I actually see as positive. So people ask me, do I get nervous before going on stage? But they ask that in a negative way. But I see it as a positive thing because if I'm nervous, it means I care. And as long as I care, I want to keep doing the job. The day of... I- the day I'm worried about is the day I'm not nervous because that's the day I don't care about how I do on stage. And I don't want to do something I don't care about. So I think sometimes there are words that are used in the negative that I actually think are positive. So imposter syndrome, I agree with you, is something that is seen as negative. But what imposter syndrome tells me is that you are wearing or you feel that you're wearing boots that are too big, but you're willing to grow into them. And I love that. That to me is a great place to be. What I don't want, what I hate, and I hope there are others in the audience that agree with this, is people who arrogantly believe that they got it. They know everything. They are, they have the opposite of imposter syndrome and it actually, to me, does not feel good. I don't like such people, but I love people who, because of the imposter syndrome, ask questions. Because of the imposter syndrome, try, fail, repeat, try and do that and grow because of the imposter syndrome, stay humble because of the imposter syndrome, stay grateful. So I actually see that as a positive thing, not as a negative thing. Now with any of these things, it can swing you either way. And so all I would say, because even nervousness can also hold you back from speaking well or distract you on stage. It's just about um, being in control of it. To get what is good from it rather than what's bad from it. Because the negative side of imposter syndrome is you never feel good enough. You never feel that it's sufficient, that you feel that you are in the wrong place at the wrong time. There's a negative side to it. I'm not saying no to that. I'm just saying, uh, you know, latch on to what is great about imposter syndrome as far as mindset of gratitude and thankfulness and open-mindedness and curiosity. Um, And I actually think it's a positive thing. So do I feel imposter? Yes. And I actively look for places That will have me in that mindset because I want to be the most grateful, most curious, most open-minded person in that space. And the day I know too much and the day I know enough is the day that I'm actually no more happy in that place. And I'll find myself another spot and another role and another responsibility where I have a bit of imposter syndrome. Um, And even when people ask me for like keys to success and stuff, I will say, okay, here's what I've learned along the way. I'm going to be the first to raise my hand and say, I am not qualified to give this advice. I, I am learning and figuring this out as I go. But what little I know, I'm happy to share with you. But please do not take me to be a guru or having attained all enlightenment. And I never want to be that person. I hope the next year that you invite me to your podcast, I have new insights and new learnings. I never want to be the one who just keeps repeating the same thing I've known for 50 years ago. Because what have I been doing for the last 50 years then?
0: Yeah, exactly. No, I love it. It's about being comfortably uncomfortable, right? Yeah, I like that. Get comfortable being uncomfortable. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Because that's where the growth comes at the end of the day, you know, and um, leading on from that, actually, Dan, I want to talk about failure and approach to failure, right? Because I personally believe that if you're not failing, you're not trying enough. You're in mm. your comfort zone, right? And failing is a great thing because you're going to learn or it might go amazingly well and then you make a shed load of money or you, be, create, a, get a, you know, create a new relationship or whatever it might be. So yeah. either way, push yourself out. If it works out, happy days, you've got a result. If it doesn't, you've learned something and you'll be better next time, right? So that's my approach to failure is just push, out, push into those situations and see it as you know, how bad can it be really? I mean, come on guys. right? just give it a go. Um, so what's your approach to sort of failure? I think you're probably similar to what I've just said, but with your own perspective on it, that's what I really want to hear. I'm interested in.
1: I'm actually quite risk averse. And to me the concept and the conversation on failure is directly correlated to risk. How much are you willing to risk? Because I think, um, the whole being open to failure and failing fast and failing quick and learning from failure is romanticized because there are some real repercussions to it. Uh, Some of it at the lightest part is financial, uh, but some of it at the hardest part is relational and also your mental health. I mean, failure can be very hard and can take a significant toll. Mm -hmm. So for me, because I think with my head more than I feel with my heart, it became about putting myself in a place where failure hurts less. So I, like everyone else that listens to the importance and the value of failing, agree. But in my own life, it seems not practical until I made a few changes. They seem obvious, but everyone who's listening and watching should think about how they apply that. Uh, Lowering risk is a simple formula. (laughs) You you have to uh, increase the rewards and decrease the losses. That's it. That's how overall you lower, you you increase your risk appetite or you become more open to risk is by increasing the up end and decreasing the low end. And so for me, what that meant is I don't, and I've not put myself in a place where I have significant financial outlays to anybody. So if a business deal does not go my way, the impact is little, but you know, what's on the other side of that, a power, because if I have nothing to lose, I'm also in a great position for negotiation. So practical example, if I have car payments, house payments, watch payments, whatever people have, that amount to 10,000 euro a month, as an example. And I have one speaking engagement next, one speaking invitation next month. And they say, Dan, we can pay you 12,000, will you come? I actually don't have a choice, do I? I have to take it because I need the 10000 Yeah. But if for whatever reason, I've lived within my means as much as possible, and I know that's easier said than done for some, um, but as I am now, I have zero debt, zero outlays to anybody. Everything is because I've earned it and I own it. (laughs) When a client says, uh, Dan, we can afford 12, I go, that's great, but I have additional value to offer you. I can also do this, this, and this, and this. Well, we make that 20K and I'll give you everything. If they say no, okay, no problem, because we're still at 12K and the 12K is a win. And if they say yes, great, I've got 20K. This is fantastic. It has no effect. So you want to be in a position where you can increase the reward and also I can give more because I owe less to less people and I have the gift of time and stuff. So as much as possible, if you hear this whole notion of be open to failure, what you can do practically is think about all the costs that you feel right now are necessary, but really should be in the optional category. And as much as you can, drop those. Uh, drop all those costs and keep your, your expenses, your outlays, um, your your weekly, monthly payments to the lowest financially. But this also relates to other areas, right? So free yourself, liberate yourself of those and then find every way to increase the potential of a win. And then I think you'll be more open to failing because if I fail and something goes wrong, it hits me a little bit. But if I fail and something goes right, whoo, I'm going to the top. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's that been my practical way of dealing with it because honestly, I don't like risk. And if I could lose it all, I won't take, I won't even risk the chance of failing. But if I, if I can't lose it all, and I only have to lose a little part, there's a much higher chance I'll be willing to gamble with it
0: yeah interesting really interesting perspective actually and I wasn't expecting you to say that so that I'm really really grateful for your sharing because you're absolutely right depending on your appetite for risk will depend on how 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 big a bet are you prepared to to um, to place and, and placing a bet is gambling right so you should never gamble something you can't afford to lose so it's a really interesting um, angle you've come at there which I think will be a lot of people listening to that if they are more risk averse themselves that's a great way actually to still encourage to move forward and learn and be embraced the option of failing because they've protected the downside in some capacity. Yeah.
1: I mean if, if you want dating advice from someone who's single um <laughs> based on this principle, if you go to a date hoping to meet the partner of your life that you're going to marry, that is a significant risk, um, a significant risk coming with the failure of that not working out because you put so much pressure on that meeting. On the other hand, if I say, uh, why don't you meet 10 people for 20 minutes, 20 cups of coffee, sorry, 10 people, 20 minutes. Yeah, 10 (laughs) cups of coffee (laughs) over 10 days. And the worst that'll happen is you'll waste 20 minutes. And the best that'll happen is you'll have a delightful conversation and a desire to meet someone a second time. The second one has a significantly less risk profile. And so you'll go, why not? And coffee, I wanna have coffee anyway. The worst thing that's going to happen is I'm going to have a cup of coffee and not see them again. And the best thing that's going to happen is that cup of coffee is going to change my life. The upswing is so high and the down is so low. And so you will do it. On the other hand, you're sitting, I'm single, I'm 35, and I haven't been successful. And the next date better change my life. Oh, the pressure of it. It might even prevent you from going on the dates because the failure of it has such... There's a silly example from a single guy from the world of dating, and you can see how if you just change the equation a little bit, change the expectations a little bit, you actually would be more willing to just try
0: yeah, yeah, brilliant! I love it. So, Dan, I just want to change, um, change tack a little bit from from your dating tips, which are very good, by the <laughs> way. <laughs> if I ever find myself single again, I will actually deploy that, and um, you know, I'll let you know. Hopefully, I never have to let you know that I'm actually in that space, but you don't know. No, we can't be complacent in our relationships, can we? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Thanks, Always got to be dated, even with the same person. Um, right. So I want to talk a little bit about the, about the emceeing, the speaking, um, yeah. because this is a massive part of what you do. And I know you're really passionate about it. Your energy comes Love across it. in bucket loads. So talk us through how you got into it. What was your first gig? How did you get into it? And then I want to see about the difference from where you were then to where you are now, if that's okay. Mm-hmm. Yes.
1: Yes this is actually a very hard question to answer because the start of something is arbitrary, right? If I say, where did your passion for real, where, where did your work in real estate start? Was it the first successful transaction? Was it the first time you saw a nice house and you thought hmm, I could sell, was it, was it a situation in your home? Like where does that, it's arbitrary. So yeah. I'm going to answer that in multiple levels as quickly as I can. And you dig deep in whichever part you like. Cool. Uh I don't have a start to emceeing and speaking because it was never a career plan. It was totally accidental. What I had was I had successfully sold a couple of businesses by the age of 29. I was thinking, what do I do with my life? And I volunteered at an event as an act of service to give back to a community that had helped me so much in my life. And so from a place of giving, I actually received significantly. And there's a whole life principle just in that. Yeah. Um, but it was an act of service that turned into a complete new career trajectory that has been significantly more successful than anything else in my life. So yes, I applaud those who have a dream and achieve the dream. But for those of you who don't have clarity in your path, I'm saying it's okay. Because what I do now, which is the most successful part of my entire life, was an accident, was unplanned, and yet in many ways is perfect, like literally perfect for me. So there isn't a clear start because I never applied. I never desired it. I never started it. It just happened to me. So where did even just being on stage start? For me, it started from being actually very bad at public speaking because some things in life you have to overcome to grow in. Uh, If it doesn't break you, it makes you. And so um, what's that song by Clay Cards? What doesn't break you makes you stronger. Something of that sort. So- (laughs) For me, I was always a very introverted, very socially awkward, very nerdy, very geeky, very intense child. I would much more prefer reading a book than talking to a human. My parents bought me pets because I had more conversation with the animals in the house than I did with the humans in the house. That was my childhood until the age of about 14 or 15. And I remember a moment where I was the smartest kid in the class, but was too afraid, to volunteer, to raise my hand, to answer a question. I remember when I did have a great joke to share, but was too afraid to say something, but the cool kid was able to get the whole room to laugh along with him. I remember when I did desire to be playing badminton, but was too afraid to even just say I actually can play. I ended up captaining the team, but I was even too afraid to communicate that I had an interest, let alone that I was good at it. And I got so frustrated that I decided, you know what? I am going to try to do something about it. And so through a process of observation, of watching people, of watching movies, you know, the the captain of the team or the uh, head of the army when they would give that powerful speech. And I was like, what is it? How do they do with that? What do they do with their eyes and their face and their hands? And I just studied scientifically. And then by imitating, um, and here's another whole thing about imposter syndrome, but the whole like fake it till you make it too. You know, like you just try and try and it wasn't me the beginning, but I would just try to embody the person that I wanted to be until the day I became that person. But I would say the start of my speaking journey started actually by not being able to speak, but working at it with just a desire to be accepted and to belong. That was it. But because I had the work ethic of preparing my statements of my speech, because it didn't come to me naturally and I wasn't an extrovert. And because I was meticulous and detail-oriented about the setting and the environment and how a joke lands and how you feel comfortable on stage and how you tell the story, because I practiced everything that I was saying, not from a place of ability, but from a place of not having the ability, all of that lends itself very well to public speaking. Because you talk to any public speaker, any keynote speaker, any moderator MC, they are detail-oriented. Because they have to be. They practice, not because they can't, but because they want to do it to the best of their ability. They use all the elements of sound and light and everything uh, for their benefit. So I, I didn't know, but I was training for my dream job. But it started off as a child. So never underestimate or undermine your passions, even your struggles as a child. They show up later in, when in your adulthood as well. Um, but then the actual start, start was when I volunteered at that event, I was hosting a small stage, a startup stage, a stage that I had pitched on. And now they asked, can I moderate? And I said, of course, I can, I can MC and moderate. And I did it. And because I wasn't coached or trained in it, I just did it my way. And I guess they liked it because a German lady came running past the stage at some point in a break. And she said, here's my business card. I'm going to give you a call. And... Um, and because she's German, she did. She she called that same evening. She said, I've got an event in three months. Would you moderate? And I said, I would be honored. And she said, it's in Munich. I was like, no, what? That's incredible. I'll buy my tickets. And she said, What do you mean? We'll buy your tickets. I said, What do you mean? You just invited me to do the such to moderate your epic event. You're also gonna buy my ticket? She said, Yes, and also send your offer. It's offer for what? Your offer to, to MC to moderate. This was just, I, di- I didn't know it was a career. I was like, you have honored me by inviting me to be on the stage. And now you're also going to pay me? You know, what? This was just mind blowing. And so I think I said, uh 200 euros seems like a good amount of money. And she thought I was joking. And she said, that's really nice of you, but seriously, son us a real offer. <laughs> I was like, I'm so confused. You got me a hotel, you're flying me over. You're getting me on stage with billionaires and change makers. I you're going to pay me money, mind blowing. But like with everything, I was grateful. I worked hard at it. I put on my best outfit. I got on stage. I practiced the best I could. I did, took nothing for granted and I uh, over-delivered. And I've, I always over-deliver. This is my personal mantra. And to the point that literally the very next call from someone who was there in that room was uh, we've got Sir Richard Branson at an event and we need a good, strong communicator. Uh, We don't have someone like that in Germany. Your stage presence, your ability to hold your own. And I was only holding my own because I wasn't trained to behave a certain way. Uh, I was just being me. And and so my third gig was a Sir Richard Branson. But as soon as those photos went out, that changed my life. So it's skyrocketed from volunteering at one event but a lifetime of trying and learning and failing and trying and growing mixed with great opportunities and people who believed in me plus work ethic meant that I went from one volunteer event to now doing 110 events a year um, on four continents. And that's all happened the last five years. So I went from zero events five years ago to now hundreds uh, last couple of years. So I've had multiple starts, and I didn't know which of those were the starts. I'm sorry for a very long message, but there's the I, answer.
0: I love that. Oh my God, there's so much in here. There really is. Gosh, I'm gonna. I want to just sort of dig into a few points, if that's okay, Dan. So you know, you were saying around, you know, going back to you being a sort of a slightly awkward, shy, you know, unconfident child, and 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 actually that being seen possibly in your own mind at the time, maybe as a negative, but actually that's become your superpower because it it, it propelled you on to overcome that because yeah. you could see you were missing out. You were missing out on opportunities because you weren't being able to communicate in the right way. And so I think that that whole again, it's a little bit around what we were saying, flipping things on their head. The glass is either half empty or it's half full, right? And yeah. you took that and turned it into your advantage, um, which I think it is shows incredibly up- powerful.
1: It shows them in other ways too. You know, mm. every speaker out there wants to be inclusive, but as the guy that was always on the outside, you know what I'm paying attention when I'm on stage? People like me, yeah. which is why invariably I end up being super inclusive because I always think about, I'm usually the only moderator or speaker that even thinks about audience engagement for introverts. Most people think about audience engagement for extroverts. Raise your hand, stand up with this microphone. You know what introverts don't want? Any of those. Yep. <laughs> I'm the only one that probably thinks, because I think, how would how would little Dan behave here? And even though I have evolved and become very confident on stage, I think about people like me. Mm-hmm. And so I will do exercises like, um, look under your chair, you'll find a paper and a pen. And I want you for 60 seconds, just reflect on one thing you have learned. Because for an introvert, that is a much nicer exercise than, all right, who's got questions? I'm done with my talk, raise your hand. Because you know the extroverts will raise their hands what about the introverts? They just want a moment to digest what they have heard. So you're right. You know, sometimes what uh, works against you in one season of your life becomes your differentiator, becomes your superpower, becomes a, a certain, yeah, differentiator of, of how you execute and how you implement and how you do. So yes, yes on that. Please. Uh, use every chapter of your life. Please use every circumstance and situation for your positive. Everything in life you can either use to hold you back or you can use to propel you forward. But what's key is you. You decide which way it goes. Nobody else.
0: Yeah, that's incredibly empowering. And, you know, people listen to this. If they're thinking, oh, God, I'm, so, I'm an introvert. I'm slightly shy and maybe a little bit awkward, actually. Yeah, think about how you're unique. You're different, you know, we're all different. So what what is different and unique about who wants to just fit in and be average, actually? Being different is great, you know, it helps you stand out, it gives you a new perspective. Um, uh, so I love that as well. And then the other thing that you that really struck me, down as you were talking, was was around was two things really leading with value mm. and and just sort of kind of putting yourself out in the world as a good person. I I really believe in this stuff, right? So I always think if you can. Be a good person, be kind, try and be generous with your time and with what you give. Of course, you know, business is business. But if you can go way and beyond and and put your whole being into something, it will come back to you. The laws of reciprocity just work that way. And it's not giving to receive, it's giving to give. But actually leading with value and kindness and compassion actually very often will mean that you're so much more successful. You're so much more meaning in your life. And that's exactly what you did. You did that gig to help out and be a good person. And then look what happened. Incredible.
1: Yes. Incredible.
0: Absolutely. And, and that's fantastic.
1: And you cannot, and that is a mindset. That is a value. That is a culture that cannot be strategic mm, because I, I was not on the main stage I was on a side startup stage and I wasn't the most qualified for that role, but I honored it and I gave it the best I could. And I could not have predicted what happened afterwards. Same like the Munich role. I could have said, well, I'm based in Dublin. Munich is far. It's wintertime. Also, this isn't my job. I do this. This is who I am. Could have said all of that, but just the attitude of... Of course, I'd love to. What an honor. Thank you for having me without even expecting money from it. I mean, I was shocked that they were even expecting to pay me. So, um, yes, this is a way of life. I think life is way more beautiful when it comes when you come from a good place. Yeah. And I get because I've lived long enough to know that life can be hard and life is hard and that life throws terrible curveballs and that life can be very unfair. I know those things, too. But even there, we have a choice. My positivity, my energy is not because I haven't gone through stuff. It's because I choose to look at the positive and to look at the beautiful and to have hope. Mm. Um, it's not because I haven't suffered or um, had pain or hurt. So it's a choice. We have a lot more choice in life than we think we do.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And when you ended up doing the gig with with Branson, I mean, that must have been a bit like, oh, wow, it's Sir Richard. <laughs> possibly one of the most iconic, well-known business people in the entire world. Um, How was it?
1: There's always two sides to a story. And uh, so two of my iconic moments are with President Obama and with Sir Richard Branson. I've had others too, but these are kind of globally well-known. Yes. Uh, I'm going to share with you what could not be seen on camera. Um, And this is just, this is all leading up to, I guess, something I want to leave the audience with, Um, but I want to share the story in that everything in my life is always, don't underestimate, always give your best to every situation. So with Sir Sir Richard Branson, you know we had our moments, introduced him on stage, did the talk, all of that, and he was on for about an hour and a half, two hours. And uh, uh, there was a journalist that was also asked uh, to interview him uh, in front of the audience, a live interview, uh, I think for the Financial Times or something, something very important. So I did the event side and then she did the kind of the journal side. And my job was done on stage. I was no more responsible what's happening on stage, but I like to overdeliver. I like to pay attention. So I was watching him. I was watching her. And I noticed that he was um, tapping his thigh every so often. And now he's he's an incredible professional, and he understands personal branding. So he wasn't doing it very obviously. But every so often, we made a point he would hit his left thigh. And I thought, why? And I was thinking to myself, why is he doing? Why is he doing that? And then I noticed when she's wrapping it up. I mean, Sir Richard Branson is a ball of energy, and yeah. and and usually he'll jump up and engage the crowd, but he didn't. He sat. I was thinking, oh, this is interesting. This is not his usual behavior. And again, I, I study and I analyze things. I'm a nerd and I'm not not—I'm not going to remove that part of me. I had watched his other interviews. I know how he behaves and he wasn't behaving the usual way. And it hit me. I was like, I think his leg's gone dead because that happens a lot, especially when you're sitting for that long on the edge of your seat. Ah. So I think that's what happened. And so even though it wasn't my turn or my stage at that point, When she said, thank you so much, sir, Richard Branson, and he remained seated, I was thinking, this is weird. So I came running up on stage and I said, wasn't this absolutely incredible? And even though he uh, gave her a handshake, because I came next to him and suspecting that his leg had gone dead, I picked him up. He then put his arm around me. And we get, gave this like double, you know, like we had our fists up at the crowd, like almost like I'd, you know, like I was holding a winner, right? And I made him feel great. And then we kind of walked, hobbled off stage. But the whole time I I kind of kept talking and cheering, like, what the was Dr. Branson? And then and we walked him off. And then um backstage, he he said, I don't even know how you noticed that, but you really saved me there, right? You you made me look good. And the the pictures next day, you know, was two people wearing the later hose in the German outfit um, with our hands in the air, victorious. But actually, it was a moment of weakness for him. But we flipped that to a moment of victory for both of us. Um, but it's just by paying attention. So actually, the moment with Sir Richard Branson was better than even what I was expecting, just because I showed up at a moment that I didn't have to show up. It was an opportunity that presented that was not scripted, that was not planned, that was not part of the strategy. And yet it was a glorious moment for both of us to the point that he remembered me. And years later, when we hung out again, he remembered that moment. Um, And same with Obama, I did my part on stage and then he was being interviewed by a journalist. And uh, in my in-ear, so we were told for security reasons, never to rush up on stage. Um, And he's got security and secret service and all of that. But there was a moment, an unanticipated moment where even though all the exits to the building are on the right side, a few people were exiting on the left side and 8000 people in the room. And the president's convoy was on the left side, meaning that when he leaves the stage, if he um, if he walks out uh, in that direction, people would see him and there would be a major security issue. Yeah. Now, the lead up to that moment is we were told not to talk to President Obama, unless he comes and talks to us. There's clear protocol about this. And so when we were hanging out backstage, everyone was so scared of him. And when, and he's such a great guy. So when he would go talk to people, uh, they would use the opportunity to ask for a picture or to uh, pitch their startup or something. When he came to me, I asked him how his daughters were adjusting to college. Cause I had just went to the American college and I was very curious. Ask him how he's uh, enjoying post-presidency and stuff. And so we actually ended up what you call an Ireland banter, talking, not (laughs) pitching, but just talking to each other. And so at the end, because of the security reason, I was allowed back on stage to tell people, to distract people, to not leave, as if there was something coming up. Um, And when Obama saw me, even though he shook the other lady's hand, he came in for a hug for me because of a human connection that we made. Again, it's not my job to make a human connection, but what is life without human connection? What is the point of doing work if you don't love people, right? And so these are just examples of show up, even when it's not expected of you. Do more, even when no one's not watching, because these moments became iconic moments. Obama hugged nobody. There were photo ops of a lot of people with Obama standing up. But there's only one picture where he's hugging me on stage in front of 8,000 people. And I was undeserving of the hug. I will tell you that. Except for a moment that I showed up as a human to another human. And same with uh, Richard Branson. It's a great picture of us with their hands in the air. Not because we posed for that photo, but because I, I cared for a fellow human that was struggling at that moment. That's it. So please serve. Please show up. Please give expecting nothing in return. Please do your best even when no one's watching because people are watching. And even if they're not, life will pay attention, the universe will, and give you good back. So I know so many people keep thinking, if only I got the opportunity, if I only got the breakthrough, if I only got the the platform, then I will. And I'll say, no, start now, start simple right now with the opportunities you have right now with the people around you right now in the position that you are do more show up more be more and i promise the rest will deliver itself
0: yeah oh my god what a wonderful wonderful stories and like you say at the end of the day it doesn't matter how senior or iconic someone is or whatever role people are people at the end of the day we all want to be liked loved cared for and, and actually that human connection, what two amazing, incredible stories, Dan. But actually these, the the, the lesson there can apply to, applies to every single person in the world, isn't
1: it? Precisely, you know? precisely. Absolutely and, love and that. I, and I just wanna, uh, again, point out that while everyone else sees the picture and assumes what they want from the picture, the story behind the picture is what people don't expect. And that story to me, is way more powerful because I think it shows real character. I mean, really, honestly, anyone can be on the front cover of a magazine. And these days, you can even be on the front cover of anything for any reason, even if it's wrong. But there's always a story behind something. You can write that story. And then the rest just happens. So be the author of your life story. Mm,
0: yeah 100% agree with you absolutely and the the other thing that I wanted to to kind of touch on Dan if I may and I know we're going to have to come to a close soon because we could talk we could talk you will have to come back on Dan because there's a lot for us to talk about (laughs) Um, but yeah I think the other point that really was standing out for me was that I think when you're stood on a stage you've got 8,000 people in a room in that example that you that you just that you just shared but you've got 8,000 individual people Mm. So if you can speak to just one person and make the difference for one person, then that's enough. That's good enough. And I think if you can get that in your head when it comes to public speaking or putting yourself out in the world, it does not matter what the metrics are, really. It doesn't. If you can help just one person, then job done. You know, as far as I'm concerned, now you obviously helped Barack Obama, Richard Branson, one-to-one. But every single person in that room, you know, would have interpreted something for that, for themselves. And I think if you can speak to one person and not get daunted by the number of people there, actually, that's where magic happens, I always believe. I don't know how you approach that sort of the room full of people versus one person. How, how do you translate that in your world?
1: Yeah, I mean... I- I agree completely with why we speak and why we're on stage. Same for you when you were giving the the keynote. I know your desire, as much as it's exciting to talk to a room full of people, your hope is that at least one person does something about it. Otherwise, what is the point of being on stage, right? Yeah, so yeah. for me, uh, this is not just a mindset. This shows up in my behavior as well. So before I go on stage, I spend time welcoming people in. I have a big opening as well. I've got a soundtrack and a video <laughs> and I come running on stage, a bit of a rock star. But before the event begins, I'll meet as many people as I can. And then I'm looking for James and Susie and Shandura, And I'm looking for all of them as I'm talking because I'm seeking to talk to the people I just met. And after the event, I spend as much time as people are willing to give me to talk to people yeah. one-on-one. I'm not looking to do autographs, I'm not looking for selfies, just looking to have real conversation with people. And when people c- connect with me on social media, I respond to every single person. No copy-paste jobs, no assistance. And I have assistance and I have copy-paste content, but I respond personally because for me, the individual impact is what I care for. Multiplied is sensational, but what I'm aiming for is the individual impact. And it has to be individual. Uh, It's hard to give individual impact if you're just over-focused on the masses and the magnitude of something. But Mm. the other way around, to me, has always been more powerful, where you pay attention to James and you pay attention to Susie and you pay attention to Ben and you make time for your neighbor and you make time for your partner and your colleague. And before you know it, you just realize the impact you've had on so many lives. Yeah.
0: yeah, amazing. I love it. I love it. And so, Dan, you've had a very rich life already. And um, I, I have a feeling that the best is yet to come for you as well, because it's never over. There's always growth and more to come. Um, but, you know, when you look back, I'm sure you've had stacks of advice. And you were talking about advice earlier, actually. And, um, you know, am I, am I qualified to give it? <laughs> you know, I suppose. But we receive a lot. We get a lot of incoming, don't we, from people, well-intended or not well-intended. But yeah. can you think of... Um, sort of of a really good piece of advice that maybe has stayed with you for a long time or something that you just really kind of resonates?
1: Yeah. It was actually a tip on productivity, which I know is a big theme of the podcast. And for me, I was interviewing, (laughs) I was interviewing, I was meeting backstage, someone was about to interview. And he, of all the amazing things he does, he's also the manager for Beyonce. And I love Beyonce. And he knew I loved Beyonce because at that point, I think even my soundtrack to get on stage was a Beyonce track. And so, so he is an incredibly successful owner of a label. And that label has multiple artists, multiple athletes, multiple real estate deals, multiple businesses. I mean, they are huge. This is the the head of Roc Nation. His uh, co-founder is Jay-Z, who is Beyonce's husband, um, who's also uber successful. I mean, like the, the, so I was backstage with him. And I asked him a question tongue in cheek, not expecting a deep answer. And I asked him, um, Who is your most valuable asset? Uh, expecting him to say Beyonce. And I'd be like, Ha 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 ha. Isn't that great? I love Beyonce. That was the expected icebreaker. What I did not expect is the profound answer he gave me back. And he looked at me very calmly and he said, Dan, businesses come and go, opportunities come and go, people come and go. Joy, happiness comes and goes. Everything comes and goes except for time. Time is the only thing that goes and never comes back. So my most valuable asset is time. And I remember that day was the start of a whole new chapter in my life where my calendar honestly became one of the most powerful things in my life. What I give time to, who I give time to, How I live my life in the time I have left became the ultimate criteria. So I'm in a position now where I think less about how much money I can make or this or that. I think more about how do I maximize and optimize the time that I have? Because whether we like to think about it or not, we all have an expiry date. Mm -hmm. And so how do we optimize and maximize the time that we have for the people we care about, for the things that we care about? in the ways that we care to do it. So that to me was one of the greatest pieces of advice.
0: Wow. That is a a bit of a mic drop moment there, people. That's incredible. Yeah. I love that. And he's spot on, spot on. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. Wow. Fantastic. So following on from that then, Dan, Mm. (laughs) can you think of any really, really shit advice that you've had?
1: (laughs) Yes. Any (laughs) advice that... Starts with, oh, but you're not ready yet, or oh, but we couldn't, or any sort of negativity about what seems to be impossible or a lack of readiness is terrible. Most of stuff you figure out because of momentum. If you just dare to start and you go down the track, you will figure out more than if you postulate and ideate and strategize before even taking the first step. So I'd say any of that advice of which there are lots of people who are so excited to give me that advice of, ah, you just moved to Germany. You couldn't know enough to try this or, oh, you don't have the language skills. Why don't you figure this out first? I mean, I am a communicator and a storyteller and a speaker in Germany, and I don't speak a word of German. And the number of people that don't dare to go on stage because someone has told them, you should learn German first, at least basic greetings. And so they're just waiting for that time they do that. And here I am just starting anyway. So I I would say any of that advice that I get quite regularly, um, <laughs> I, I think is not, it comes from a place of people wanting to protect you. I get it, but it's not good advice.
0: No, that's great. And yeah, if someone starts with no before yes, um, you kind of know yeah. you're in you know you're in trouble. Say yes and figure it out afterwards, as we said earlier. But uh, yeah, that's really great advice from you of advice not to follow. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: I <laughs> see why I did that. Um, no, fantastic. So, Dan, what's before I get to my last question, what's next? What's next for Dan Ram?
1: Oh, but also ask me what's one piece of advice I want to give people. And I would say four words. Oh, go start for it. now, start simple. This is my mantra, the best time to start on getting healthier or fitter or your career change or being a better husband or wife or uh, studying better or doing a challenge or running a marathon, whatever it is that you've set your heart on, the best time to start it is right now, like literally now as you're listening and watching us now. And the way to do that is to start simple. So don't complicate things. Don't make it more complex than they have to be. Don't wait for things to line up. Just start with what you got. You want to be a game developer? Start with the phone in your hand and start by playing a game. And pay attention to what makes you enjoy the game. That's a good insight. Start there and then you'll make a great game. If you want to be an author, fantastic. Take the pen in your hand and try to write a title to your book or a table of contents, or just write the first couple lines that come to your mind. It doesn't matter what it is. But just start now. Start simple, which is why as I walk into 2023 with a big goal of a significant compromise in my life, which is my fitness, doing all these events, I did 61 flights, 52 trains this year. Um, I My compromise was my health. So right after this podcast, between the end of this and my next meeting, I'm going to the gym not with a trainer, not the best gym in the world, not the longest time or the right clothes, but I'm gonna go for at least 20 minutes. Let's start now and let's start simple. So that'd be my piece of advice. And now I'm so sorry, what was your question?
0: Yeah, no, that was that was gold, absolute gold. And I 100% agree with you. Yeah, absolutely, stop making excuses. The easiest yeah. person to lie to is yourself. Stop yes. it! Get get going. Whatever it is, I love it. Fantastic, Dan! You are a man after my own heart. I got to tell you. So, <laughs> Dan, what's my question was What's next for Dan Ram? What, what's it? Oh. What's on the radar for you? And where can people find you as well? I know you're all over, but where can people find you too? So, two questions, and then I get to my last one.
1: <laughs> I'm always around, and I'm ever present through social media. So even though physically I continue traveling the world, I usually do one to two countries a week, um, I um, am always present on social media and I am incredibly accessible, not because I'm some superhero, but because it is my heart and my desire to be available to people. I am here to serve. And, And so whether you send me a DM on Instagram or write me a message on Facebook or drop me a message on LinkedIn, or even if it's just a comment on something I post, you will get a reply from me. So, I love conversations. You don't have to know me. You don't have to give me money. You don't have to even add value to my life. Just the fact that you've shown up in my life, even socially, means the world to me. So, do engage with me on social media. I have tons of free content every single day. We put out videos every single day. I share behind the scenes of content that can be hard to get to because usually it's behind a paywall or behind an expensive ticket to a tech conference, but I share that freely uh, on my social media. So, please do follow. Just look up Dan Ram. My official username tag is I am Dan Ram. But even if you Google Dan Ram, you'll see a bunch of stuff there. Um, And I love to give away free tickets and give away goodies. So join for whatever um, and uh, we can engage. As far as what is next, Jeanette, besides the uh, the kind of the mantras of ever growing and ever learning, uh, which, which I seek I think I'm redefining some of those words. And so if you do an interview with me next year, while growth in the past for my company has been literally 3X the revenue, then 2X the revenue, and now 3X the revenue, three years back to back, and that is a form of growth. Moving into 2023, growth for me, I'm redefining it as better physical and mental health for all of my employees. Because with success comes incredible pressure Mm. and incredible brokenness. Um, And what I seek now with the term success and growth is a lot more holistic. And so we're instituting a whole new work style. So while in the past, it was hustle, hustle, hustle to keep up with all the growth financially. Now we're doing a three-one structure where we do one week off, rest, strategize, being creative, input, and a three-week sprint. This is a whole different kind of growth. Um, also everyone on the team has health goals so in addition to your work goals even though it's not part of our job i want everyone to push themselves physically and so we're holding each other accountable and growth and success for a team dan ram next year is not just me having more money in my pocket but my team feeling better about themselves and healthier and proud that they have overcome their own (laughs) struggles and insecurities with their health and fitness so Next year, the big thing is I'm pursuing the same goals, but I'm redefining what those things mean for me and for my team.
0: Mm, I love that. Yeah, holistic, actually. Success looks different, doesn't it? It's not just about the financial numbers. It's the whole the whole being. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. Well, a huge success with that, Dan. There's no doubt that you're going to achieve anything you set your mind to. That is absolutely clear. So, Dan, this podcast is called Brave, Bold, Brilliant, right? Which clearly, <laughs> clearly you are, otherwise you wouldn't be a guest on it. Um, but when you hear that, Brave, Bold, Brilliant, what does it mean to you?
1: Okay, so... Brave, bold, brilliant. These are all things that I think we want to exude on the outside. But what I've learned as an introvert, and what I've learned through overcoming my own struggles, what I have learned by having to constantly redefine and adapt, and all the themes I've talked about in this podcast, is all of that starts on the inside. When you are brave to yourself, when you're bold to yourself, when you're brilliant to yourself, when you acknowledge and use the words, and rewrite your narrative of how you are those things. Only then do those things show up. So yes, we want to be brave in our workspace, but it starts by being brave in our hearts to maybe try something that you might fail at, but it starts inside you first with a willingness to try it. We want to be bold, maybe in our relationships or a personal brand or in a tough situation. Great, but find ways to be bold within yourself, for yourself, and even brilliant, It might be a word that some people shy away from and say, well, seems a bit too extravagant of a word. Brilliant. I have to be exceptional, but you won't be perceived as brilliant. You won't even be brilliant unless you allow yourself to be brilliant inside first and you start celebrating what you do well and you start seeing and double going double down on what you're great at. And then you become brilliant. So To me, what those three words mean, as much as I would love to be defined those things on the outside, the real work is on the inside, and that's where it starts. And so um, I love those three words. I wish that for everybody, but do not neglect the work on the inside. You can fake it on the outside, and it will disappear at some point. But you put on the work on the inside, and regardless of what people say, and regardless of the words they write on your tombstone, if you believe it, and you start living that way, your life becomes brave, bold, and brilliant.
0: Oh, I love that, Dan. Fantastic. My gosh, we could talk for hours. And I am so grateful for you coming on. I know how busy you are. But seriously, Dan, thank you. It's been an absolute joy. You really have been.
1: Thank you so much. And because I have a voice with you right now, Jeanette, on behalf of your audience that maybe, and hopefully you get some nice texts and messages so far, I want to take a moment to say thank you for your labor of love in doing this. Because while this is the fun part, talking to people, there's a lot of other parts that are less fun, like all the emails and logistics and setting time apart and the editing and the promotion. So thank you for all the work you do to create all this value for a community. And I hope you enjoy it. I believe you do. I see it in your face uh, in these conversations. And on behalf of your audience and myself, thank you so much for this podcast and thank you for the work you do, not just this episode, but all of them
0: oh thank you dan you're a very very sweet person thank you i really appreciate it i really hope you've enjoyed brave bold brilliant don't forget to subscribe and share with all your friends and if you've enjoyed listening i'd love it if you'd leave me a five-star review